I'm Tash Postolovsky and I'm the Technical Marketing Manager at COSIV. Hi, and I'm Emily Etchell. I'm a Security Consultant at COSIV. Although today Emily is a security consultant at COSIV, like many in cybersecurity, Emily's journey didn't start in cybersecurity, it started elsewhere. So your career began in biomedical engineering. Can you share a bit about your background as a biomedical engineer and what inspired you to transition from there into the field of medical device security? So I started my training as biomedical engineer. My research project was on muscles and um, tissue stiffness and things like that. So quite in that, um, almost with the medical science biomed side of things. Um, I started working at one point after working for manufacturers at uh, the TGA, so Therapeutic Goods Administration in Canberra, um, who regulate medical devices. And I was lucky enough to find myself in the laboratories. Until that point, my view had really been from sort of uh, maybe on more on the manufacturer side of designing medical devices and what is the solution that we're trying to, or the problem that we're trying to solve. But it was there that my supervisor mentioned cybersecurity and it hadn't been on my radar. I'd always been really focused in on the medical side of things and really interested by that of really how the body works and how we're going to design a device to sort of interface with it. That mention kind of sparked this whole waterfall of realizing how much cybersecurity is such a big part of healthcare and specifically medical devices and how little it was sort of at the time being focused on. And given that it is such an industry where there is so much to think of, there's the patients, there's the doctors, there's so much going on. I felt like I was at the crest of a wave that medical device cybersecurity was taking off or about to take off. Um, and it's just really interesting because we hadn't at the TGA, you know, we were starting to look into it and you just sort of a lot of this like discovery and realizing what things mean when applied to a healthcare sense is really interesting. So I just, yeah, followed that down and it took me further into cybersecurity until it took me wholly into cybersecurity and a little bit away from medical devices. But it's always been a very, yeah, big interest of mine. What are some examples of medical devices that people in the field of medical device security tend to think about the most often? I think one that often people get scared about is, say, pacemakers or things like that, because you know, it's implanted, it's, you know, whoever it is, if something was to go wrong with that, that's a big thing that could happen. Another device that I think personally is quite a big area to, to focus in on is just devices that are really commonly used amongst the hospital. Um, so while you might have only, say, three MRI machines in a hospital, there'll be hundreds of, say, infusion pumps or um, observation monitors, things that are really used day-to-day um, -day by nurses, by doctors, and there are, there are many per ward. And you think of how many times you might need to take someone's heart rate or throughout the day, the amount of devices there are and the amount of times they're used and the fact that they also form a, a baseline, I guess, because that's the everyday monitoring and everyday sort of medication supply to a patient. It's sort of that idea that there's just so much more exposure to those devices that if something was to happen to those, it would be such a larger scale. I have a sense as well that there are a lot of things that people, a lot of medical devices that people may not even realise are medical devices or could be vulnerable to attack, for example. Like I think, you know, a lot of people probably think about pacemakers, as you mentioned, 
but yeah, infusion pumps, for example, was something that I had never thought about as being potentially um, vulnerable to attacks. Are there other types of medical devices that people who aren't familiar with the field may not realize could be a security concern? Sometimes, yeah, people don't realize that even software itself can be considered a medical device um, if it falls under that definition of um, being used in like the diagnosis or the monitoring or the prevention um, of, of a disease. And so from memory, just things that might be besides infusion pumps, you've also got um, medication dispensing, you've got um, even at home devices there's a lot more devices that i think are being developed now to help people have their sort of healthcare at home um and that might be a lot of monitoring devices so if a falls monitor or even just at home um vitals monitoring things that don't seem so dramatic they're not the you know surgical robots but they're really relied upon by people to have a good understanding of their health condition and if something was to change that even if it didn't have a physical impact because uh, incorrect measurement was verified by a doctor later on and was seen to be incorrect or in some way was caught before it caused physical harm. If a measurement device gave false readings and a person thought that something was wrong with them, that there wasn't, there's that psychological stress that really is so important and can have such a impact during that journey that you really don't want to be stressing someone out more than necessary Otherwise, it does have a flow and effect. Another question that comes to mind for me is the potential motives of attackers who would be targeting medical devices. So obviously there's disrupting the function of the device and all the challenges and negative outcomes that can cause. Are there other motives that sometimes motivate attackers to target medical devices? I think at the moment the focus we've been seeing has been a lot on um, personal health data, um, which is, I think, a lot with, um, there's been, you know, the increase in ransomware attacks and that targeting health data and, and sort of that data being worth so much more, I guess, because you can't, you can't change your health data, you can't, you can cancel a credit card, but if someone knows your health history, that um, sticks with you. Also, there's the idea that uh, medical devices are often part of a network and so that's within a hospital and you've got all these other devices and there's oftentimes um, trying to centralize and stream and bring that data together so any of the data that's um, collected per patient is only useful if it's I guess um, visible to doctors and sometimes there's a push for that to be moving it outside the hospital so maybe people elsewhere can see that so you can get second opinions um, outside the limit of who's there on that day. Um, and that transfer of information does in a way mean that someone could use a medical device potentially to um, gain access to that wider network and then that might be used for other intents. On that note, what are the technical characteristics or challenges that you found when thinking about medical device security that might be different from securing other types of systems? Yeah, I think unique to medical devices is sort of, again, remember sort of in the context of how it's used that it is um, in a hospital setting often, or maybe at home or at a healthcare setting of some form, there's a bigger problem of legacy devices than perhaps other areas. 
while our phones might be two years or five years before we expect to get a new one, um, legacy devices can really be continued to use as long as they provide the, the medical function that they're there for. Um, and that could be much longer than we expect. So they then have the issue of, there are a lot of legacy devices out there that can't be secured in a way. They, they are just, the age of them just makes it sort of infeasible to, to secure them. So when thinking about security for medical devices, uh, it really needs to yeah, focus on how to make them have that longevity that, you know, if you look 10 years in the future, are we able to maintain sort of um, patches and software updates in a way that really stands that time, as well as recognising that, you know, all the medical devices that we have in Australia are thoroughly tested and then reviewed and so validated and verified that they are doing what they should do and that it's a safe function. And so when we start to bring in things like um, patch and software updates and understanding like when should a medical device be recalled, there's the consideration of designing it in a way that that also supports the idea that these devices might be in use 24 seven and might not be able to have, you know, a downtime overnight where they can sort of, a patch can be installed. So it's, there's a lot of, thought in the design process of really how that these are distinct from say standard other software products yeah but in the same way they are vulnerable to um, similar attacks that other industries would see so yeah it's sort of like a um, similar to other industries but there are these added layers of the patient always being the forefront of everyone's mind who's sort of involved in that industry are medical devices typically connected to the public internet? Yeah, I think definitely varies greatly on the device. I think um, there's more so, there's definitely a push towards, um, or it, it seems like um, an increased amount of putting in features that allow the user to have a bit more control over their health data and visibility of what's happening with their device in that then there's you know connectivity over wi-fi and bluetooth so that they can look at it from their phone and from an app um so while the device itself might not need to be connected to the internet for any reason it's sort of it's more that ability for people to monitor their own devices and say if you have you know a, a glucose monitor on a child with type 1 diabetes if there's the function to allow like the parent can sort of have a bit more oversight if they're able to monitor it through um, Bluetooth or Wi-Fi on their own device. So, um, yeah, there's definitely um, increased network connectivity. Um, it might not be to sort of like needing public um, internet access, but still just having those, even if it's just Bluetooth, there is um, that border is sort of extended beyond the device itself. It's that classic tension, it sounds like, between sort of usability and making data and functionality available and locking systems down to be as secure as possible and where do you find the right balance yeah definitely and it's especially like um what i always find interesting is um the same way that you have sort of um, proprietary software and then you might have a group that develops an open source version of it and um you know has similar um functions that also happens in medical devices which i remember finding really interesting there would be different groups that, um, for say the uh, artificial pancreas has a few groups 
one of them is the open APS. And what they pretty much do is that they try to provide an artificial pancreas for people who are interested in that. So people with type one diabetes who want continual monitoring of their um, blood glucose levels. And they um, saw that there was a bit of a, a gap in what was available to them and they created a open source version. And so it's the idea being that it's open source, it's transparent, it's available for others and sort of falls into that, um, the same, that the benefits and the risks that, you know, because it is open source, potentially maybe there are more eyes on it and more of it, there might be people who have a security focus who can look over that and sort of provide that security. But then on the other side, it becomes a difficult thing when looking at, regulations that medical devices go through and that manufacturers try and do to make people safe if you start amending those where does that sit so yeah there's a lot of interesting spaces i think with how medical devices in the end are, are just another device you mentioned earlier patching medical devices in general is it easy to patch most medical devices are some medical devices unpatchable like they're just shipped and they're in use and they can't be updated anymore How, what does that landscape look like in in the industry yeah so i think it's interesting because the so the, the tga has medical device cybersecurity guidance um and that's i think the latest edition is 2022 and that's constantly being updated um to really stay on the forefront of what's expected in medical cybersecurity and, and one of the things is expecting that manufacturers will keep a software bill of materials and so they can sort of list and sort of have an idea of what are all the components that they should be keeping secure and then from that using that to have sort of like a, a patch program and make sure that they can show that they have ways to update and respond to any security vulnerabilities that might pop up so seeing devices that aren't patchable that would fall under say like legacy devices but really devices going forward it, it's an expectation that that is such a necessary part of having a device being supported security wise and that all medical devices should have that considered in their design process to wrap up I'm curious to know how your time thinking about medical device security influences how you think about cybersecurity today. So obviously your role today at COSIV is um, much broader and you don't um, work directly on medical device security anymore. Um, but have you taken some lessons with you or certain perspectives on the industry that you apply to your work today? Yeah, I think I really love the the idea of just looking beyond the you know the security problem in front of you or you know if you're pen testing and the goal is to you know gain access somewhere like looking beyond that and sort of putting everything in the context of how it's used you know if if I'm focusing on pen testing something you might find a few small um, different vulnerabilities but really placing those in sort of well you know if this is a website that doesn't have banking functions, doesn't have sort of, um, it's maybe just purely informational, being able to understand that that can really change how the end user responds to any of those findings that you may have. And I think it's just, yeah, always so important having the context. So yeah, I think it's, it's definitely helped that 
things are never in isolation and you really need to consider that the space of whatever it is you're looking at in where it sits.